Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. Galatians chapter 6. I recently, well, kind of recently, uh, I was watching or listening to an interview, and this interview was a man <clears throat> who was responsible for investigating the bodies of the people that jump off of the Golden Gate Bridge. Tell me that wouldn't be an interesting job. They jump off the bridge, they die. This guy's job was to go to their home, to go to their workplace, to try to piece together what could have possibly happened that made that person get up that day and say, hey, I'm going to go jump off a bridge. This guy did this job for about 25 years. <clears throat> Over 25 years, he became very numb of uh, just the morality of an individual jumping off of a bridge. He, he, he detached himself from it. But he said there was one time after 25 years that he said he still can't shake. It was a young man, 17-year-old teenager. He said about 90% of the time when I walk into the house, it makes it simple, there's a letter on top of the dresser. <clears throat> he said in this case, the letter was on top of the dresser. When he read the letter, he said it just crushed his heart. Because in the letter, the young man said, getting ready to go to the bridge now if one person says hi to me on my way there I'll turn around and go home what does it mean to be good now we know that Jesus criticized when he was called good right you know that none are good but God why would you call me good But we also know that the concept of doing good, we can't be good. Something fallen cannot be good. How many of us are fallen? But here's the deal. Saved people, even though they can't be, by definition, good, they can do good. Okay? Now, here's where we're at, and I believe that we're, we're here in this place culturally as a church as well. When did being good become defined by not being bad? You see what I'm saying? Because if anybody's ever trying to justify their morality, their ethics... What do they usually say? I'm not that bad. Right? Let me, if doing evil is something, if doing good is something, if there is any in between at all, what is it? Doing nothing. Just because you aren't bad doesn't make you good. Do you get what I'm saying? 
It's this whole same concept. We like to run around the world and talk about how sin is doing what God told you not to, but how often we talk about sin also being not doing what God told us to. Because it seems that we put a lot more effort towards the one side than we do the other. And we've fallen into this rut because of numbing. I mean, in the world today, honestly, how nothing do you need to be to appear to be good in light of the shadow that the bad that we know of today, the evil that it casts? It doesn't require you to be a Christian to look good, not in that contrast. So just how good are we supposed to be? Completely? How many things do we walk by in a day that we could actually do something that will literally improve an individual's outlook on their day? How big of a thing does it take? Oh. But let's be honest. When's the last time you thought in the middle of your day of just randomly doing something good? And then follow through. Universal advice. Husband's the wife. You want to have no problems? You're going to have problems. But you want a life you want to you want to live a good life? Be good to her. Do good to her. Wives? Likewise. You know how to live a happier life? Do good for your husband. The act of the verb, the act of love. How do you show it without doing it? It's impossible. Compassion, how do you show it without doing it? So what do we end up with? We end up with a crippled church. And I'm not talking about Highland. I'm talking about the whole church in the whole world crippled. And partly because it's fallen asleep. But I even know individuals, and I've been there many times myself in my Christian life, where I seem to be doing just fine until the Lord actually shows me something I missed. And you know, I'll be happy as long as I'm meeting my standard of good. In the book of Galatians chapter 6, and this, this letter was written, and, and again, Galatia, Galatia was not a city. Galatia was a region. It was a region of individuals that were Roman, but were a completely different culture because they came in later. They were completely engulfed in the Greco-Roman religious system. 
when Paul planted the churches in the, in the region of Galatia, the Jews came in. So now the Jews are going into a Greco-Roman area, taking Judaism into a place that would have never taken it before. Whose fault is that? That was Paul's fault. So then he's got two people who are working against him, trying to prevent him from planting these churches. They were teaching things back then that were um, Gnosticism, which is um, knowledge is power. For those of you that hadn't heard me say this, Gnosticism doesn't mean that, a Gnostic doesn't think that God's word is no good. A Gnostic just thinks God's word is equally as good as the farmer's almanac. Okay, that's, that's the definition of Gnosticism. So basically, any person that is the smartest person, they get to rise to the top. So it becomes a competition about who is the one that's at the top of the totem pole. It has become a fight to the point, and, and I've, I've, again, I've done this many times. How many of you have ever become so consumed by something? Depression, anxiety, schedules, just activity in general, that you neglected something. Whether that is time with your kids or time with your spouse or time with uh, the time that you need to be doing the things that you know are responsibilities that need to be done. Whether that's your, your, your job. You go to work. If you're not on your game, what's the consequences of that? We float through life like this all the time. But we end, up, we end up having people telling us all of these specific things. How many of you guys ever had somebody, um, I, I run this all the time in counseling. Well, he lied to me. Okay, how did he lie to you? Well, he didn't tell me this information. I'm like, well, but it doesn't seem like the type of information that you would put on the top of the list to announce. I hope I don't cause any fights in here, but folks, I want to tell you something. Wives, your husbands, they work, and a lot of thing happens in a 24-hour day. A lot of stuff. If they didn't come home and tell you about one of those minute little specific parts of your day, and you find out about it later, they didn't lie to you. Because what do you want to do? All right, I'm going to need a list. Right? Right? I mean, I need to know the rules. If I want to be expected to play by the rules, you need to know the rules, right? Within the concept of relationships, we have to be able to feel. Because otherwise, we can't help anyone. What do I mean? Do you notice how easy it is nowadays to drive past a homeless person? Did you notice how easy it is to drive past it? And I know there's, and, and I'll stand up here and say this, it is not safe to pick up hitchhikers. But I'm also going to say this, it has never been safe to pick up hitchhikers. Okay? When I was growing up, I had the type of daddy, he, if somebody needed a ride, he was going to stop and pick them up. That stuck with me. You know how many people that I can easily drive by and not pick up? Not only that, but the Lord showed me how to use it to my advantage. 
Did you know that if you pick a guy up on Highway 21, New Highway 21, and this is the way the conversation went. Need a ride? Yes, I so much appreciate it. Just take me as far as you can. Where are you headed? Park Hills. Buckle up. It's about a 25, 30-minute drive at 65 miles an hour. This guy can't jump out. Guess what he's getting all the way to Park Hills? I should be afraid of him? I have laid out a diabolical plan before I've even picked this guy up that I am going to grill him in Jesus by the time we pull in Park Hills. If he don't know Jesus, he's certainly going to know who he is before he gets out of the truck. And people have messed it up for a lot of people. You see a, a hood open on the side of the car? Or on, uh, on the side of the road? We won't stop and help. Safe to do that anymore? No, there's some pretty big diabolical plans that people put together out there. Is there an excuse for everything that we would do that's good? Is there anything that you can do that's good that doesn't carry at least some threat of a consequence? And if you run around doing good things all of the time, then what are typically the consequences? People typically don't run around getting mad at people who are doing good things to people. They don't do that. I went home the other night. I had to run some things to a church member, and I was going back home, and I stopped at Dollar General right there by the house. When I pull in... This woman in a minivan is turned sideways and she is chumming out the door. Yes, varmiting. So I park the truck. She gets out of her car and she wanders side to side, slamming into her own car, can't even walk into the store. I instantly start getting messages, start trying to send messages to deputies. Because <laughs> I wasn't sure what she was on. She looked drunk. So I tried to stall her. The employees tried to stall her. Eventually, she starts to walk out and get in her car. And I said, you're going to kill somebody. You know what the first thing she said to me was? Don't judge me. And I told one of the deputies, I said, the one thing that drives me the most nuts is that it has absolute, no bones about it, zero care or attention about anybody else in the world but you. And the lady behind the counter, who was new, she said, I really don't know why that's so upsetting to you. Well, first of all, I grew up in this community, and I lost about 10 friends to drunk drivers. Second of all, I got two grandbabies, four kids, and three son-in-laws who travel that highway all the time. And they got family members who travel it too. And it becomes mind-numbing to be an individual who thinks about it. Why can't people just be good to each other? Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass... You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one 
looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. You know, I spent a lot of time, there's two different ways you can kind of look at this particular passage of scripture. One of the ways, I mean, they both make sense and they both work, but here's the way I'm leaning on this one. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking for yourself. Hold on. Full circle. What's the accountability for? A brother caught in a trespass, right? If a brother's caught in a trespass and another brother does not restore that brother the way that the Bible says that that brother's supposed to be restored, then that guy has committed the same offense as the first. In other words, do I get to look at somebody and say, yeah, what you did was wrong, but what I did is less wrong, so it's not as wrong as what you did? He's saying there, what, what's he saying? When, when you go to restore such a one, be good to him. Be good to him. In other words, the word restore, you know what that word means in the Greek? To mend, to repair. It was used back then when it was talking about someone having a broken bone mended or restored. By the word restore being used there, it gives us a very clear expectation of what it is our involvement in this is supposed to create. Is there any situation a Christian should walk into that they walk out of leaving it worse than they walked into it? There should not be, ever. Now, there are people who get wound up from us speaking the truth, but if a Christian walks into any situation and they leave that situation, that situation should be better. And for us to understand, we can't be so farsighted that we're seeing other people's sin without understanding that our own sin can very easily be caught up in that. Sometimes they just, I don't, I've talked to people who said this. Well, well, I talked to so-and-so, and they told me that so-and-so told them. And it's like, wait, are you really trying to make a valid point at this? Because, I mean, you just really created a circle so big, it's really difficult for you to travel at this point. The people who say that somebody else caused an offense, but the way they said it caused an offense, and they don't get it. They don't get it. Does it stink to be the one that there is supposed to be that type of an attitude? You better believe it does because you can't do what you want to. That's what it all boils down to. We can't do what we want to. Now, I believe that the truth is in our heart of hearts, if we're believers in Jesus, we genuinely want to be good. And by be good, I mean do good things. We want to. Our brains get cluttered just like every other avenue in Christianity and we sometimes tend to stray off that path a little bit I guess I notice it more now one person I'm getting ready to go to the bridge one person says hi to me I'll turn around and go home Golden Gate Bridge where's that at how many people are in the city 
millions. Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens, and this fulfills the law of Christ. And I don't have time to go away through this, so I'm going to hop just a little bit. Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Verse 5 says, For each one of you shall bear his own load. Bear one another's burdens. Each one of you will bear his own load. You can't take my load. My load's mine. The load is what creates the pressure. How many people in the world are walking around that right now under a lot of pressure? Bearing one another's burdens? The burden is the result of the load. We're not trying to take people's loads away from them. We're just doing everything that we can to try to keep them sane through all the baloney they're going through. And Christian people even, and I would even say possibly, especially Christian people, they need more attention than, than most others. And I'll tell you why. It doesn't make sense to me. When people get into those high-pressure situations in their life, do they tend to run to God or away from him? Away from him. Away from him. Here we are. Here is healing. You run that way. There was a kid at Bay Street Camp. It almost became comical. I'm kind of watching this kid because I know the Holy Spirit's working on him. Every day at the end of church service, you know what this kid did? Invitation starts. Beeline out the back of the tabernacle. First day, I was like, wow. Kid didn't go to the bathroom before he went to church. But then the next service, he did the same thing. The next service, the exact same thing. Next service, the exact same thing. And I'm standing in the back looking at it and going, wrong way! The people who can answer your questions and can relieve you of all of this pressure that's causing you to run out of the tabernacle is up there. Don't run away from the solution. Run towards it. But what does that mean for us? How do I bear your burden? While also understanding that I can't take your load. It means once in a while, we've got to stop with our busyness. We've got to pay attention. Look around us. I'll put it on the spot. And I know every one of you care for the people in this church. I know because you always talk to me about it. Since I sent the prayer chain out about Kevin, how many of you sent a message to Donna? Since I sent the prayer chain out about Kenny or anybody else that, you know what I used to get? I used to get messages from people. And it was kind of funny because I would have to send a message back to him and say, hey, this isn't a group chat. Because I would send a, t uh, a prayer request message out and I would get five to eight people that would send a message back praying. It's been six months since I got one. 
Dave Herring's pretty good about responding once in a while. He'll put a heart. He'll put Dave Herring. How many of you guys know Dave Herring? Yeah, he's been here like five times. He listens to the sermons on Facebook, and he's the one that's responding to prayer requests. I don't need you to respond to prayer requests. For me, that's not the gauge, the marker. But if a person has no emotional response to a prayer request that's been sent out of a very real situation, what's the chances that those people are literally stopping what they're doing and praying? Some do. Most don't. One of the simplest things that God's asked us to do is pray for people. Is that good? Praying for people is a good thing, right? But if we were being honest, just how consistent are we with that? The American family has grown so numb to Christianity. We'll gather around a table and ask a blessing. Do you think there's any thought? Do you think our minds even connect to God when we do that repetitiously for 20 years? We don't know how to be good to people because we don't have the time to slow down and pay attention. You ever change a spare tire for someone that was par- uh, uh, that was parked in a parking lot, standing there scratching their head, looking like they had no idea what they were doing? Are you the person who pulls up, rolls down the window, and says, "You want me to call AAA for you?" I mean, that's help, right? The little old lady that can't lift the dog food bag into the back of her car—we usually don't pay attention to because we're busy pushing our cart to the back of ours. Just simple things. Just a text message. I know, I know some people like the talking thing. And I, I get it. I mean, I, I came from that generation where they like the talking thing. But even though people like the talking thing, if I was to tell somebody, or if I was to ask them this question, you haven't heard from somebody in quite a while. They text you. Does that make you happy? Yes! It makes me happy. There's not really a problem with texting. As a matter of fact, it's one of the simplest forms of technology we have in the world today. Any one of you, you miss church a couple times in a row, you have a health problem, you have... You should be getting messages from people who are aware of that. Some people, I still need their contact information, though. There's excuses. There's reasons. There's, we can be busy individuals. We can always get better no matter how good we are. But the truth is, when's the last time you opened the door for somebody that you didn't know? Those are the things when I was a kid, you got slapped down if you didn't do them. Because it was respectful. Now it's just good. It's something extra. You ever be treated away by somebody in public service? Made you feel bad? Why would you want to be that person? 
Why would, why would we want to be the person that walks around life heaping more of the load on the backs of people and not being someone who's at least trying to remove the negative consequences of the load that they're already carrying? You can't take my load and I can't take yours. But we can certainly be passionate and compassionate towards each other and the point that he's getting to, you can read this further down, and he gets right into the, right into the specifics of, of being good. We've been commanded to do good to one another. And not only one another, he says, especially those of the faith. We want to be good out there because we want the lost world to see what good really is, what Jesus Christ provokes and promotes. But how many of us have ever thought about the things we say, the things we do, how we say them, how we do them, and the way that they may impact an individual inside the church? I've been a pastor for 21 years. we go through phases of life where the church is excited everybody's hearts are in the right place their minds are in the right place they're just doing nothing but being faithful to what God's asked them to do and the church grows and, and people are being reached and baptisms out the ears and no program in the world is going to create that that's not even created in a ministry mindset. That's an individual creation that God created inside each and every one of us. Individually, that power manifests itself over our lives. Corporately, it does the exact same thing. So when we get together, we have the ability to know, hey, about a month, Terry's got a pretty big surgery coming. So I'm not going to just stand up there this morning and say we got prayer requests and, and his name come up and just to make him feel good, go, yeah, we're going to pray for you. Because there are nuts and bolts of the gospel in that that we should actually be taking the time to pray for Terry as he, as he prepares for this procedure. And it's no different for anybody else. How many of you expect tomorrow when you get up you're going to have uh, Satan pecking on your shoulder? I mean, it's, pretty, it's a given, right? We know what he's going to do. I've allowed him to manipulate me in my life to the point that I've upset people. I've done things that I shouldn't have done. I've said things that I shouldn't have said. I've allowed him to do that. Up to a point. But my point's this. The Apostle Paul put it this way. If I make you sad, then who is there left to make me glad? In other words, as long as you are depressed, as long as you are dealing with struggles that have emotionally drained you, there's no possibility of you functioning in a capacity that's going to be productive to God. So how do we get people who are living in this fallen world out of depression? How do we get them to experience less anxiety? You see the difference? The load is giving them the, ang the anxiety, the depression. The burden 
That I can help with. I can't take their stuff away. It's their stuff. I would if I could. But I can say, what can I personally do that may help just a little bit lift you out of depression? You say, well, a little bit. What good's a little bit going to do? Actually, quite a bit when that little bit is being done by a lot of people. Now you have people that are emotionally strong. They're emotionally being taken care of and cared for. And when they're emotionally cared for and some of the burden is taken off of their shoulders, they're able to carry that load at least with a little bit more oomph behind them. And we as a church, while they're dragging their bodies and the weight and all of that stuff alongside them, every one of us should be alongside linking arms, lifting and pushing. And that's how a church gets from point A to point B. We're not here, folks, just to hear a sermon. We're not here to congregate together for the sake of looking across the aisle and seeing familiar faces. This world's getting worse, and our responsibility is to encourage each other as it does get worse. Because how many of you guys have felt, just in the last two years, some of the biggest pressures you've ever felt in your life? And how encouraging is it to you to know that that isn't the tip of the iceberg? I would much rather have myself surrounded by people who are going to care enough to see me sinking to prevent it from happening than to be surrounded by a thousand people that are going to recognize I drowned, pull me out of the water, and try to do CPR. Catch me before I drown myself. And I should be the same to you. And nobody out there making rules should matter. It doesn't matter. Rules don't matter. Go back in that last chapter. And, and that's where the Apostle Paul actually says that uh, uh, we as, let me go back and read it quote, word for word so I'm not messing it up. <laughs> last chapter, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. freedom you got it you can do whatever you want to you can I'm, I'm standing up here and telling you right now theologically speaking you can walk through life never do a good thing in it and still get to go to heaven huh oh no reward worse I believe than no reward because I say again I'm not looking forward to you're forgiven I'm, I'm hoping for, I get to the gates. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Boy, you really left it on the field, didn't you? Come on in. Time for you to rest for the rest of your eternity. That's what I'm looking for. As everybody in here should be looking for. But that's not even selfish. I know that if I get to the point that I hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into your day of rest on the day that I was there, that I took Jesus to as many places as I possibly could. Because when you hurt, it should hurt me. When I hurt, it should hurt you. We shouldn't experience anything 
without at least some level of concern for one another. Because it's not a cliche term for people to say, we're a family. We are. We're all people who have the same father. We trust in the same one for our salvation. We've all been set on the same path for the most part, in different ways, accomplishing the same tasks, we've been linked to each other, whether we like it or not. If I come home, if you come home, and you have a kid that's constantly crying, it's a philosophy we just need to let them cry it out? Or do we try to ease some of the burden? Husbands, you ever have your wife cry when you didn't cause it? How much you want to fix it? But what do us men typically do? Oh, great, she's crying again. Good or bad? Oh. Look at life through this lens this week. Every decision you make and every act that you carry out is either evil, it's good, or it's nothing. How are your days weighing out? And then just ask God to help you adjust it. Because I do get so busy. I do get so busy that sometimes I become so tracked on the task at hand that I can detach myself from the emotional side. And it's not a good thing. Never is a good thing. If you're here today, and this is largely a, a message to believers... But if you're here today and you have never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, I can't save you. But if you'll come up here and tell me when the Holy Spirit asks you to, I'll take whatever time necessary uh, to explain to you the one that can save you. Believer, I believe that if you assess your life as I have mine, if I was to grade myself, just how much good do I do these days? How would I score? I don't need to know your answer any more than you need to know mine. But we do need to know our answer. If our life is not reflecting what it is that God desires, then it's time for us to revisit the drawing board and figure out how we got out of sync with Him. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.